This content is suitable for curious and objective listeners and viewers only. User discretion is advised. You know, they say if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you go. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And welcome back to The Credentials, where we provide thought-provoking content in the form of information and inspiration. I'm your host, Charles Stewart, and we have a great show on hand for you today. Now, if you're looking at this from YouTube, you will see my recreational demolition shirt. <laughs> yes, yes, recreational, <laughs> recreational demolition. And uh, I'm wearing my record for Lottie shirt because, well, my car was a piece of recreational demolition by a invalid license uninsured driver. <sighs> so, I could look at this and be like, <laughs> there goes, there goes, as they say, the devil working overtime, right? But instead... I decided to use this as an opportunity to take this as a lesson, as in what could I learn from this? How could I use this experience to help others, right, in my situation? So now that forced me to actually take a look at my insurance plan, my car insurance plan, in terms of, well, what is covered in car insurance what isn't and what is the process of using car insurance effectively in situations where there is a collision and i emphasize that word because that comes up later so emphasizing you know with understanding your car insurance you can best protect yourself from future payments or future damage or proper reimbursement and proper compensation for a situation that causes an accident or a collision or whatever the case may be. So, <laughs> with all that being said, here's what I learned about car insurance. So basically, there is different types of coverages. There's comprehensive, there's collision, and there's liability coverage. Now, there's other ones, too. There's also renter's insurance, which is something I had in my policy with GEICO. GEICO, 15% now, <laughs> 15 minutes now can save you 15% later. <laughs> Oh, they are not an an ad for this for this podcast yet. Um that being said, so comprehensive. You would think in comprehensive car insurance it covers everything. Well, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> you're goofy. <laughs> so, comprehensive actually only covers theft vandalism, fire, and similar incidents. 
so it's not comprehensive. It's actually very narrow in what it covers. Now, collision coverage, that covers, as you would guess, uh, collisions, (laughs) right? So when collisions happen with your vehicle and another vehicle, when you have this coverage, that means whatever accident there is on your car, the insurance company will come out, get a estimate or appraisal on how much they think the damage is worth, and then they'd write you a check, and then your collision covers it. And then there's liability. And liability covers if you damage another vehicle and if you damage a person. So it covers body and property. I think that's how they phrase it. And those are three types of coverages that you should be aware of in your car insurance and knowing the difference between all three. And also your renter's insurance. So the way renter's insurance works to to the best of my knowledge is when you have an accident like or a collision as I had and you have renter's insurance, what happens is if your vehicle is deemed not safe to be driven, then depending on the amount of coverage you have, they give you an allotment. For me, it was 900 bucks, and it breaks down to about $30 a day. So that means I have approximately 30 days on their dime to have a vehicle, but with taxes and deposits, you still have to come out of pocket about extra 50 to 100 bucks. So there you have it. Some good old-fashioned car insurance knowledge based on my lesson with my car collision. Ah. Now it's it's kinda it's kinda sad too with this car accident because this is my first time really being in something something this kind of serious. So um you know it sucks. Oh I know, I know. I appreciate it. Now in preparation for a couple of future episodes I because of this car calamity <laughs> I was unable to meet with my scheduled guests for this week. So once again, we are doing the lessons with Chuck series. <laughs> where we will uh, learn some more about my interpretation of books I listen to and and the notes I take from the books. And welcome back to The Credentials. And I'm your host, Charles. And 
in light of not having a guest for this week's show again, we now take it to Lessons from Unfair Advantage by Robert Kiyosaki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yes, Robert T. Kiyosaki, the same guy known to have written Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That name sound maybe a little familiar, right? So, lessons from... uh, (laughs) All right, so lessons from The Unfair Advantage by Robert Kiyosaki. One I got was investing for capital gains versus investing for cash flow. Now, what that means is understanding that you have to know what type of investment you're investing in. Is it a cash flow cash flow play or is it a capital gains play? And capital gains means you buy it at $10 and it goes up to now it's worth that's a capital gains, right? The capital has gained significance or value, and hence the price goes up. Or a cash flow investment is something that you pay into, and in return, you get a some weekly, monthly, quarterly, however the, the deal is structured, you get a certain set amount in passive income. And then with this option, what makes it different from a capital gains is not only can you have the passive income coming in, but at the same time, depending on the type of cash flow asset that it is, the capital gains could go up on it. So now you're double dipping. Now, a perfect example of that is because the guy made his living or a big big chunk of his living off of real estate. And the way he made it cash flowing is that he would buy houses or apartment buildings and rent them out and he talks him and his wife kim the first property they made 25 bucks profit in in cash flow and they grew from there they didn't start out cash flowing $1,000, $2,000, $500. They started out $25. They kept building, kept building, kept building. So, something to think about. Another lesson is investing is not about risk and more about knowledge. (laughs) So in other words, if you take the time to become an expert, 
and take the time to understand and grasp grasp the information, right? Retain, understand the information, then it doesn't matter what type of investment that you're making, you're going to make money or you yeah you're going to have profits you're going to see gains because investing is not about what you buy is i mean it's about what you buy but it's also about when you buy it perfect example when all the stocks went down because of the pandemic, that's when smart investors were buying. And now, because they had the large sums of capital beforehand, when you put that in a market that's artificially deflated, not inflated, but deflated because of things being shut down. Now that's how, when they talk about the rich getting richer, that's how they get richer. Is because they buy a lot when everything goes down because they know eventually it's going to come back up. While the common investor invests while everything's high, not realizing it's going to come crashing down. You know, the buy-in price is very crucial. And dollar cost averaging, you know, and dollar cost averaging is basically when you decide to invest at 150 and then it goes down to 145. And you're like, you know what? I believe in it. So I'm going to buy it at 145. Now, when that stock gets past 147 or 147.5, now you've turned to profit because when you bought at 145, you're cutting at the amount to where it, it, it's like you're lowering the buy-in rate that you bought in, you know, if that makes that makes sense. You get the vibe, you know, when it goes from 150, 145, you buying at 145, then the, the average price that you buy in, the dollar cost average, the average price that you buy in is theoretically reduced by the difference between 150 and 145. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good book. It's a good book. Next thing, I, next lesson I learned is money is not on the gold standard. And it hasn't been that way since 1971 when President Nixon took it off. So what that means is money isn't backed by anything of value which is why we've seen in the last 10 years the perceived value of the dollar is not being 
there's superior difference. Now there's, it depends on the month in the year. There might be a couple countries that have, that, you know, the dollar is not a dollar in their country. It's actually less than a dollar. So, and that actually started in 1933 with FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt. He's the first one. And I think it was in part, if I remember correctly from the book, it was in part because we needed to print more money to fund the war. Because that was right during World War One or World War Two, somewhere around there. So, interesting stuff. You know, because who would have thought? Who would have thought that? Who thinks about like, oh, yeah. Well, the dollar is really backed by nothing. <laughs> it's backed by our hype, American hype. That's that's about it. And we owe so much of it because we printed so much out. So that plays on my next point in the lesson that I learned, which is savers are the biggest losers since there's literally no value attached to it. And let's say you are a saver, right? Let's say you're hearing this for the first time, you are a saver. That doesn't mean you rush into, you know, purchasing some type of asset, whether it be like a business, a paper asset, a commodity, or real estate. What that means is expedite the amount of research, the amount of courses, the amount of classes that you can take and learn about to build your foundation so then that way you feel comfortable and confident to go ahead and then take your savings and turn them into cash flow or turning them into assets. The first and most important thing is the knowledge. And and the narrowing of scope. You have to figure out, okay, which one do I want to focus on first? You can't do commodities, real estate, business, and paper assets all at once trying to get the best returns, especially if you're just now learning it, that makes, it's just not practical. You know, that's not, that's too much for our brain to comprehend all at once. Come on, you know, so narrow of scope and then expert in knowledge. And that doesn't mean while you're getting the knowledge, you can't apply it. You actually should apply it. And you can still have success while not being an expert. And you technically don't need to be an expert to execute. But you need the foundation. You need the base. Because that foundation of knowledge, that base of knowledge, will give you confidence to trust your gut to make the right decision. Right? Right? That makes, that makes some sense, right? At least in my head, that makes a little sense.
so the next one. A big part of the mortgage crisis, right, that everyone talks about from 2003 to 2007, a lot of that was from ninja loans. Ninja, like, you know, like one of those ninjas. And it stands for no income, no job, no asset loans that were given out to individuals who only needed to show their credit rating. Interesting. Ah. Right? That's very that's very interesting. And that, you, it gets me to hmm. sounded that off who thought that was a go and then in the book it shares what billionaire is suspected to have played a very key role in that ninja loan getting passed throughout many different banking systems and mortgage and lending institutions so unfair advantage you know they're not a sponsor yet this isn't a paid review but i'm just i'm sharing the knowledge you know that's what we do over here we provide thought-provoking content (laughs) in the form of information and inspiration baby (laughs) so uh just don't tell them that I don't know. Just don't just don't tell them. Don't tell them we're we're giving away all these gems. I <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> hope I'm not in trouble with that that statement. <laughs> so, let's see here. What else did we learn? Think about that. They literally had loans called no job, no income, no assets. Interesting. The next one is a little interesting food for thought. And the next one is most financial advisors and financial planners are employees and not in what he likes to call the B or the S quadrant in terms of business-minded or business-oriented or the S quadrant, which has many different meanings. But in this one, like the self-employed, um, small business, LLC, S-Corp mindset. And it's a lot, it has some credence and some validity to it. It's similar to, I can't period when he says, think about the fact that most financial advisors and planners are employees 
and they're advising you on your wealth, on their wealth, when they've never, they're learning through you, and they don't even have, in most situations, they don't even have a portfolio or even investing <laughs> themselves. You know, they just do it for you and that's it. They don't even do it for themselves or have, like I said, a portfolio, a body of work on their own that says, hey, look at this. You know, a lot of times they're learning from you. Which? It's all case by case, right? However, because everyone needs to start somewhere. Right? So, something to think about. <laughs> That's all. Another lesson I learned is you made a good comparison between the stock market and social security with a Ponzi scheme. Hmm. 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 Right? Maybe you're wondering, like, hmm, it is a little, it's a unique comparison. And um, he made it because they both require fresh new money to come in and the new money that comes in generally benefits the old money that's already in there. And it's legal because, and it's not a Ponzi scheme, is because you are getting an asset in return in the form of a paper commodity when you get issued a piece of stock, right? So you get a paper asset. Now, what's interesting is that paper asset, there's different types. That paper asset could be a capital gains or it could be a capital gains and a cash flow because it could have a dividends attached to it, right? So, something to think about. While a Ponzi scheme, there's you don't get nothing in return. A lot of times, they happen with investors is because investors promise a certain amount of returns, generally a lot higher than standard or industry norms. And when the money comes in, it doesn't get invested. That's why it's a Ponzi. And even a more more fun fact, because I had to Google it, uh, Ponzi is actually from a guy named Carlo Ponzi from Italia. And uh, they had to bring up the fact that he was 5'2". I don't know why, but they did. Oh, so yeah, and in retaliation, 
what he did was he tricked thousands of Bostonians. Ah! So when he tricked the Bostonians, they gave him about 15 million over a span of eight months because he claimed he found the golden formula for easy wealth. for that so Carlo Ponzi from Italia that's where Ponzi scheme he's not the originator there's people before him you know there were OGs that paved the way but I guess he's the he's the Jordan of it (laughs) you know he's the Brady of it and this is another oh this is a good one this is a really good one Lessons from unfair advantage. The best investor is a business owner who invests. And the reason why I say a business owner who invests is because in the book, he distinguishes between business owners and investors. And he says the best investors are the ones that are business owners who invest. Not investors run a business. There's a difference. Because he says he's also adding to more characteristics of the best investors. He says they use other people's money. They invest with a team. They're more generous to bring more money in. Now, people get that misconstrued a lot when... when I think religious scripture from different religions and every, a lot of successful, financially successful people say, you know, be generous with your money. But what they don't say strongly enough, in my opinion, or imply strongly enough is be very smart and calculated while you're being generous you know because some people if you have a vice that may maybe oh because I'm having success and I'm having this vice maybe they internalize that as oh I should lean in more this way and now that's how that perpetuates or or it can mean buying liabilities instead of assets. Thinking that be generous means, oh, you know what? I deserve to treat myself. I deserve to treat myself. I deserve to treat myself. I deserve, and instead of treat yourself, you deserve to invest in yourself. Ah! Ooh, invest in yourself, right? Don't focus on treating yourself, invest in yourself. And that's what I think more generous with your money brings you more money is when you're more intentional about using your money to make more money and give to causes that will bring you more money, then you'll get more money. And the first way to take action on that 
is to get that understanding of knowledge and take immediate action on acquiring knowledge as soon as and as quick as you can. And the best investor, before I get off track, what's crazy is I mentioned earlier, right, how savers are the biggest losers. Now, the reason why he also says that in the book is because when these financial people are able to, what do they say, uh, uh, they're able to um, fundraise or raise, yeah, I'm able to raise $8 million, yada, 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 right? Where do you think they're going to raise this money? At the end of the day, they're going to banks. And the reason why banks have this money is because the money you're saving, <laughs> whether it's in the your savings account of your bank account, between your checkings and savings, or if it's in your 401k plans or any type of pension plan, all that money gets saved at a bank. Those pension plans, all those... Those pension plans and all those different types of plans, they bank with someone. So those banks have your money. <laughs> and now what you don't know is not only are they able to dish out your money, but they can also dish out your money at a certain multiple. So depending on the year and, and the rules of that year, it could be they can give $10 for every dollar. I don't don't know the exact rules on it, but they can give a multiple of your money. So if you have, for instance, $10,000 in the bank, then the bank basically has $70,000 that they can move and shake around. Now, what's similar to that is you may be thinking like, damn, the bank can do that? Can we do that? Yes, which I just found out is that's the whole premise behind option trading and how people are able to get such high returns with such little in is because in certain types of option trades, you're able to get a multiple return based on the certain setting and I don't know the specifics of it, but um, yeah. You can do that through options trading. Which? Ah! Surprising. Because this is all stuff that you get from books. Like, this will never be taught in class, in schools. These are This is all information that you could only get from a book, literally. Or a podcast, or a seminar, or a course, or mentorship. But inside those classrooms, university, whatever level, this is not taught there. This is not taught there. So that's why it's important to take action in finding, investing in yourself, investing in knowledge, investing in knowledge 
you know, because it's like what they say, you know, the old saying is, you know, they can take, they can't, they can take your job, but they can't take your degree. Well, they can now not use your degree, but you can always use your knowledge. Right? So that's how you got to be on. Got to be on that type of time. And then they made some, uh, he made some other good points. He said, return on information, which is why I keep harping on that. And he also said compounding education. Right? Return on information instead of return on investment. Return on information and compounding education. Think about how powerful that is together. It's simple. It's not easy. Everything worth having is not easy to obtain. But it's simple to get. <laughs> it's not easy to obtain, but it's simple to get. That's the name of the game. Hey, this is what it is. Adapt to it. Don't complain about it because complaining is not going to do anything about it. Getting better is going to do something about it. Adapting is going to do something about it. Complaining is not going to do anything about it. And then he also made a very poignant point, poignant point, where he says, I'm the best-selling author, not best-selling writer. And he mentions that because he says, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, then you got to be a salesperson. You got to be comfortable with sales. And... At the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, that's what it all is about. It's about selling. Selling, 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 selling. This is what it is. So either get with it or get lost. 